Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Hi everyone, the passage today comes from Genesis chapter 21 verses 1 to 21, chapter 21 verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring." Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down again about a bowshot away for the thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, His mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, It's lovely to be with you all tonight. Uh, My name is Matt. Uh, I'm a regular here at our 6 p.m. congregation. How about I pray and then we can get into it. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this uh, passage. We thank you for your word. Um, Holy Spirit, you see where each of us are at tonight. I pray that you would be um, softening our hearts, opening our minds. Uh, Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus, let me pray these things. Amen. A few years ago, uh, I spent some time in Peru on a six-month mission trip. Uh, And on my way home, I had to pass through Los Angeles because there aren't any direct flights between Peru and Australia, sadly. Um, And my plan was to stay with some family friends uh, for a couple of days in Long Beach before um, catching my final flight back to Sydney. Uh, So as I touched down at LAX from Peru, uh, I did what every modern traveller does, um, and I called an Uber to take me from the airport to my friend's place. So I'm standing in the passenger pickup area, Uh, my Uber pulls up, and I throw my luggage in the boot, Uh, I hop in the back, and I breathe a big sigh of relief as the car pulls away. 
Um, the hard part's done. I've made it through customs. Um, all my luggage has arrived in one piece, praise the Lord. Um, I can just sit back whilst I get driven directly to my destination. So about half an hour into the trip, I decide to pull up my phone uh, and I look at the map to see how long the journey is and how we're tracking. And to my surprise, we are not heading in the direction I thought we should be headed. Uh, according to my map, we should be heading southeast, uh, and instead we're heading northeast. Uh, so I decide not to panic. You know, it's all good. Maybe there's roadworks or a highway's closed, meaning we have to take a different route. It's all good. I decide to just chill and give my driver the benefit of the doubt. Fifteen minutes later, I check my phone again, and I find we've done a big circle, and we're back to where we were 15 minutes ago. So I don't know what your uncertainty threshold is like, but it's at this point I decide to speak up. Hey, mate, uh, can't help but notice we've just done a big circle. Is everything okay? Uh, and I won't try and do a Californian accent. Um, but to which he responds, yeah, I missed an exit. I had to backtrack the way we came, but we should be all good now. Now, it's not that I don't believe what my driver is saying, but you can bet that the trust is gone, right? And for the rest of that trip, until the very end, when I pull up at my friend's doorstep, you can bet I was tracking our progress on my phone like a hawk. <laughs> now, why do I tell you this story? Because when the person in the driver's seat of your Uber doesn't really know what he's doing, it's kind of funny, or at worst, it's inconvenient and annoying. But when that person in the driver's seat is God, and instead of just an Uber, he's determining the trajectory and the direction of your life, it's a lot less funny. Have you ever looked around at your life and thought, God, what are you doing? Are you asleep at the wheel? We have been here for ages. Why are we not moving? Or maybe, maybe it's not that your life is moving too slowly, but things are just headed in the total wrong direction. You look around and you see chaos and wreckage, and you're wondering, God, do you know what you are doing? Do you not see the carnage that is unfolding here? If you are currently in a place where you're asking either of these questions, then tonight's passage is for you. And even if you're not in either of these situations, I think there are still truths today that we can see which would be really helpful for you. So buckle up, no pun intended. Um, let's get into it. So our passage opens with quite a joyful scene. Um, we have this beautiful picture of Sarah and Abraham finally conceiving and giving birth to their long-awaited son. And... Whilst the birth of a healthy baby boy would be cause for celebration under any normal circumstance, I think there are two things worth noting here that will help us appreciate the significance of what is happening. So firstly, the most obvious thing to note here is that not only is Abraham 100 years old, but Sarah, his wife, is 90. Now, I'm no expert in human biology, but I'm pretty sure this is well past the age of conventional childbearing. Isaac's birth is nothing less than a divine miracle. This baby boy represents literally decades of longing, disappointment, and unfulfilled expectations finally coming 
to fruition. The second thing to note here is the cultural context in which all of this is unfolding. Um, So in the ancient Near East, where this story takes place, um, family is everything, right? Your status, your standing in society, your security, your income, and your identity are all largely determined by your family. And so what we need to really appreciate here as modern readers is that as beautiful as we're told that Sarah was, and as wealthy as Abraham was, all of it was hollow because they had no children. Abraham is 100. Sarah is 90. They do not have many years on this planet left, and they both know that. Now, of course, as we heard from Chris last week, when Ishmael was born, Abraham was given an heir. But even this was a hollow and a deeply flawed solution, to say the least. Right? Because even though Abraham has an heir, Sarah is still left childless without the guarantee of any sort of legacy. Yet all of this changes with the arrival of Isaac. Because now Abraham and his wife Sarah have their own son who is of their own flesh and blood. It is the deeply satisfying fulfillment of an aching promise that has been in the works for more than 20 years. And it's here I want us to pause for a moment because we've come to the first truth that I think God is speaking to us tonight. And it's this. Even when it looks like nothing is happening, God is always working. Even when it looks like nothing is happening, God is always working. God is faithful to his word. He is deeply committed to my well-being and your well-being, but his timing is not ours. God will often keep us waiting for far longer than we would be comfortable with. Maybe you're here tonight, you're at a crossroads in life, and you're in a complex situation, and you need wisdom and guidance in an area, and you don't know what to do. And you're praying for a breakthrough, for clarity, for direction, but it's, it's just not coming. Or maybe, maybe you're not at a crossroads in life, um, but you're tired. You're tired. Um, life has looked the same for so long, and you're just weary, and if you're honest, just bored. And you're wondering, is this it? If you resonate with either of these situations, then I want to encourage you this evening with this. Wait upon the Lord. Keep trusting him, keep being faithful with what he's given you, and keep walking with him. God made Abraham wait for 25 years between promising him descendants and the fulfillment of that promise in Isaac. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to take 25 years to act on whatever situation you're in. um, And I'm also not saying that God will necessarily give you what it is you're asking him for. That's not how he works. But what I am saying, and what the text is saying tonight, is that God's timing is not ours. 
He does not move according to our schedule in ways that we always want him to. But God is not just faithful. He's faithful to you. And you can rest in that. Even when it looks like nothing is happening, God is always working. So as we continue on into verse 8, the narrative takes a bit of a sinister turn. Eight days after his birth, a big feast is held for Isaac, as is the cultural norm. Um, And as the festivities are underway, Sarah notices that Isaac's half-brother, Ishmael, is making fun of his baby brother. Now, bear in mind, Ishmael is like, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 at this point. He's just entering into his teenage years. And as all teenage boys do, he's testing out his comedic skills. Now, he may be doing it a little inappropriately, but it's hardly out of character for a teenage boy, right? And so the first time I read verse 10, I was taken aback. Read it with me, verse 10. She, that is Sarah, said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Do you hear the contempt and the disdain in her voice? She doesn't, she doesn't even refer to Hagar or Ishmael by their names. She calls her that slave woman and her son. Now, I don't know about you, um, but the first time I read this, two thoughts occurred to me. My first thought was how much of a total overreaction this is. Right? A teenage boy, he's maybe made a bit of a stupid joke, and now you want him dead? It's, it's, it's just so out of proportion. My second thought is how totally unfair and unjust her reaction is. Right? If you cast your mind back to last week from Chris's sermon, remember that it was Sarah who forced Hagar to sleep with Abraham in the first place. Ishmael is not the result of Hagar's decision. He's the result of Sarah's decision. But now that a better option has come along, Sarah wants to discard and abandon them for dead. It's horrible, it's exploitive, and it's selfish. But I also think it's very human. Because consider Sarah's journey up until this point. All of Sarah's life, she has been born and grown up and lived in a culture where her primary value as a woman and as a wife is to produce an heir and to secure her family's legacy. Right? And for decades, she has been unable to do so. But... In all, of this, in all of her years with Abraham, there was always the small consolation, there was the small chance that perhaps the problem wasn't with her. After all, it takes, it takes two to tango, it takes two to conceive. There was always a 50% chance that the cause of their infertility lay with Abraham, not her. So can you imagine the shame, the self-loathing, and the worthlessness that would have descended upon Sarah when her husband has sex with Hagar and she conceives. It's, it's like the final nail in the coffin because 
there isn't any ambiguity anymore, right? It's proof that the source of their infertility is not Abraham, it's Sarah. Yet, fast forward 13 years, and in God's grace and in his kindness, when Isaac is born, Sarah's place in society is redeemed. Right? In the eyes of her culture, Sarah is finally a worthy wife, a worthy mother, and most of all, a worthy woman. After decades of living under the specter of shame and inadequacy, she is finally able to fulfill her calling as a wife and as a mother. And so, it's only when we have all of this in mind that we see that Sarah's reaction to Ishmael's mocking of Isaac, it's not actually about Ishmael and Isaac. It's about Sarah. This is not just about a teenager poking fun at his baby brother. It's so much more than that. Ishmael represents everything that Sarah is ashamed of. Ishmael represents the decades of worthlessness inadequacy, self-loathing, and despair that has haunted her the majority of her life. And now this teenager, this son of a slave, has this, this despised part of her history, has the audacity to mock her new identity and her future legacy? Not if she can do anything about it. So, Sarah makes her appeal to Abraham, demanding that he exile Ishmael and Hagar. Now, this is where the story takes a bit of a surprising turn, because it's here that God speaks. But he doesn't say what we might expect him to. Read it with me. Verse 12. God said to him, that is, Abraham, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of a slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. What God essentially says to Abraham here is, leave this situation with me. I have a plan for both Isaac and Ishmael that will see both of them prosper. And I think it's worth us taking a moment here to zoom out for a bit. Because when we do, we see how ridiculously faithful and gracious God is being to Abraham here. Because as we look at the bigger picture of Genesis, we see that Ishmael never should have happened. Hagar, Ishmael's mother came into Abraham and Sarah's possession because Abraham sinned. Right, we heard about this two weeks ago from Chris. In chapter 12, Abraham lied and sold out his wife to the Egyptian pharaoh in exchange for livestock, cash, and slaves, which would have included Hagar. This should never have happened. And Ishmael was conceived because Sarah forced Hagar to have sex with her husband. This also should never have happened. 
The circumstances leading to Ishmael's birth are deception, manipulation, and sexual abuse. None of this should ever have happened. Yet in spite of all of this, God does not abandon Abraham and Sarah to live with the consequences of their actions. He doesn't doesn't fold his arms and say, guys, I gave you my word and my promises, yet you still screwed it up. Sort this out for yourself. He doesn't do that. God leans in and he promises to provide a future, not just for Isaac, but for Ishmael too. In spite of all of Abraham and Sarah's sinful decisions, God promises to redeem the whole situation. Which brings us to the second truth of tonight's text. Even in the midst of sin, God is always working. Even in the midst of sin, God is always working. Maybe you're here this evening um, and you're just feeling really heavy and discouraged. Um, Maybe you're looking at a situation that you or someone that you love is in um, and it's just so messy and broken. Or maybe you or someone that you love is suffering or grieving because of the destructive actions of another person and it's it's just taking its toll on you. If that's you this evening, then I want to encourage you with this. Even in the most sinful, messy, and broken of circumstances, God is always working. Even in the midst of sin, God is always working. So the morning after the feast, uh, Abraham complies with his wife's demands. He gives Hagar and Ishmael some basic provisions and sends them off to wander the desert. Eventually, they run out of water and they run out of food and they both collapse. Hagar sets her teenage son down underneath some shrubs. She walks several meters away. She sits down and begins to cry. As far as she's concerned, this is the end. They have nothing left and no one's coming to rescue them. And I want us to take a moment to appreciate this scene because it's so, so sad. Hagar was taken from her homeland as a slave by a group of nomadic foreigners. She was mistreated and sexually abused by her masters and forced to give birth to and raise a child that she never asked for. Then, 13 years later, at the whims of an emotional and selfish woman, she and her teenage son are abandoned to wander the desert and die. It's such a hopeless and such a sad situation. But thankfully for both us and for Hagar, the story doesn't end there. In verse 17, God speaks. Read it with me. Verse 17. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Now, there's, there's so much that we can unpack here, 
Um, but there are just two things that I want to draw our attention to. Firstly, do you notice how Hagar is referred to by Abraham and Sarah in this chapter? She's called that slave woman. They don't even use her name. On top of this, neither Abraham nor Sarah ever speak to Hagar directly. They only ever talk about her in the third person. It's the slave woman this, the slave woman that. It's so degrading and dehumanizing. But do you notice when the angel of God, who represents God himself, when he speaks to Hagar, he addresses her directly. He doesn't talk around her or about her. He speaks to her. But not only this, God is the only one in this entire passage and in the whole book of Genesis who actually calls Hagar by her name. He says, Hagar, do not be afraid. Now you may be here this evening and I I don't know your particular story or your circumstances, but maybe you have experienced loss or are currently in the midst of grief that none of us could even begin to imagine. You may be wondering if anyone in the universe sees your suffering or your pain, or let alone even cares. And if that's you, then what I want to say to you this evening is that not only does God see all the details of your circumstances, but he knows you by name. He sees you, he knows you, and he is always working. Even when it all seems hopeless, God is always working. Even when it all seems hopeless, God is always working. So God opens Hagar's eyes and he provides her and Ishmael with water. Uh, They survive and our passage ends with Ishmael growing, maturing and starting his own family. Um, Now, this is where our passage for tonight ends, but um, with the small amount of time that I have left, I want to flick forward a little bit because this is where it gets really cool. Um, The next and the last time that we see Ishmael is in Genesis chapter 25. Now, you don't have to, you can't even turn there if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, But in Genesis 25, we see that Ishmael has become the father of 12 sons who then go on to become the rulers of 12 different tribes. Now, for those of you who have been in church for a while, can you think of any other descendants of Abraham who have 12 sons who go on to form 12 tribes? Anyone? Thank you. It's Jacob, right? It's Israel. It's the chosen nation of God themselves, right? What we see in Genesis 25 is that God has been faithful to his word to Hagar, Ishmael, and Abraham, right? God has prospered and grown Ishmael into a nation of the same scale that Israel themselves will become. We see that God, in spite of all of their sin, in spite of all their hopelessness, never stopped working. He's been working this whole time. And he has been faithful to his promises. Even when it seems like nothing is happening, God is always working. Even in the midst of sin, God is always working. And even, and especially 
when it all seems hopeless, God is always working. And whilst this passage was written thousands of years earlier, we see all of this the most clearly in Jesus himself. For the countless generations after Abraham and Sarah, it seemed like humanity was lost. It seemed like the problem of sin in the human heart was never going to be resolved. It seemed like nothing was happening. Yet in all of this, God was working. Thousands of years later, Jesus, the Son of God himself, came to deal with the problem of sin and evil once and for all. He came and lived in our midst in the brokenness and the mess of planet Earth. In the midst of sin, God was working. And as his dead body was brought down from the cross, and as Jesus was laid in an empty tomb, it seemed utterly hopeless. It seemed like God's plan for the redemption of humanity, thousands of years in the making, was dead. But three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead, conquering sin, death, and reconciling humanity to their God. He was always, always working. And he's still working today. In my life, in your life, and in our world. Even when it seems like nothing is happening, God is always working. Even in the midst of sin, God is always working. And even when it all seems hopeless, God is always working. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are always working uh, in our circumstances, in our world. I pray that you'd seal this upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.